It all started when I saw this note on my friend's refrigerator that said, Brave is, and there was a handwritten section that said, What you have done. Brave is what you have done. And I thought that was the sweetest thing. I don't really know what this note was referring to, but I had a feeling it was coming from love from a person who um, cared about my friend and was proud of her. So after I talked with my friend about it, she uh, referred me to Shannon Weber, who I'm so excited to have on the podcast today. She talks about risking falling in love, empathy adventures, agility in giving and receiving, cultivating healthy dialogue with her son, reimagining our own true script for life, and how to lead instead of save people. Hello and welcome. You're listening to the Embody Podcast, a show about remembering and embodying your true nature, inner wisdom, embodied healing, and self-love. My name is Candace Wu, and I'm a holistic healing facilitator, intuitive coach, and artist sharing my personal journey of vulnerability, offering meditations and guided healing support, and having co-creative conversations with healers and wellness practitioners from all over the world. This episode is brought to you by the Sound Sleep Album. It's an album of 11 healing experientials and meditations that will guide you to feeling more grounded, restful, and embodied in your life. It's for anyone, really. Even if you have good sleep, it can help you feel in your body, in your daily life, and uh, be more present, connected, and enjoying your life. The healing experientials bring you deeper to a way to, to help your nervous system calm and deepen and helping you look deeper into the aspects of your sleep issues if you have any sleep issues. You can order the album at candicewu.com slash soundsleep and all of that money goes to helping to create more podcast episodes for all to enjoy. Thanks so much for your support and I hope you enjoy it. What fun to come to a website and for it to say to you, you found love. That's what you can do if you go to loveyou2, the number two, dot org. You can download all sorts of beautiful love notes that are sprinkled all upon the website, such as note to self, I like, your happiness matters, I love you because you're a wonder. Good luck in your honor, dot, 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 or brave is like the introduction talked about. This is the beautiful work of Shannon Weber, who just brings magic and love and sprinkles it all around the world. And this is her story of how she started the, the love notes and the idea that that sprung from in her relationship with her children. In this episode, she also talks about missed connections and moving from misconnection to vulnerability, how to find a different way of relating when you find yourself in an enmeshed or codependent relationship. That's a tongue twister. <laughs> also, she talks about noticing white fragility and saviorism in all of us with gentleness and compassion and how boundary creates connection in other spaces in our lives. 
And the icing on the cake is a love note for you later in the episode. So be sure to tune into that as well as Shannon's explanation of empathy adventures and how to bridge an empathy gap, why it's important and why it's interesting to develop your empathy muscles and strengthen your ability to take those adventures into vulnerability. You can find that extra Stamp Your Passport Empathy Adventure explanation and discussion at candicewu.com slash Shannon Weber. You can also find all of Shannon's HIV work as well as her book Show Up Hard and all the love notes that you can download at the show notes uh, in the link as well. So now let's jump in and meet Shannon. So Shannon, I'd love to start here today by just saying something to you that I've seen on your love notes that you Mm -hmm. spread all around the world. (laughs) And it's that you, there's no one else like you. Oh, I have goosebumps. Wow. Thank you. Thank Mm. you so much for joining me today. What a thrill to be here. I'd love for you to share how the love notes came about and and what it is for people who don't know about it. Um, It was delightful for me to see one on a refrigerator door of a friend of mine. And Mm. uh, ever since that, I was just like, who does that? Whose notes are these? (laughs) And it's you. It's me. It's one of my favorite stories to tell. So thank you for asking. So when my kids were quite young, Um, and I would travel for work, they would miss me. And as it would happen, I would also sometimes miss important things in their life, which was also devastating to me. And so I started leaving these little trinkets. We called them jujus, a little word from my childhood, Mm. from my mom, and these little trinkets and a note. And I would leave them. I have three, three kids. And so I'd leave one for each of them. And then they could hold the little juju in their pocket. And so they had a tangible reminder of what cannot be seen, but can only be felt. And so I would say to them, so even if I'm gone or I'm missing you doing that reading at school, or I'm missing this practice or, you know, game, you can have a piece of me in your pocket. And so it was this great ritual we would have. And sometimes you know, before something that they were really anticipating or nervous about, we would get together in a circle and they would put out all their jujus and they'd pick one to take with them and the other kids. And I would each tell the kid who was nervous about something, you know, how we would be there with them when they were going to go do this brave thing. So it was this whole ritual that we had created to stay connected and to love and support each other. And so one day they said to me, sometimes we need a piece of you even when you're here. And I felt overwhelmed by that on some level because I already felt so stretched thin and in so many ways spent as a single parent of three young kids. I thought, I'm already giving so much. And it was so curious Mm -hmm. to me because I thought, I'm showing up in the best way I know how when I'm here. How is it that you could want even more of me? (laughs) And I thought, you know, and I was curious, well, what is that? What is that? And I thought, well, maybe it's the being able to, you know, with the juju that they had autonomy over, you know, a choice over when to get the juju and they could 
take that thing when they needed it. And so I thought, oh, I want to create something like that for them. So even if I'm around, but in whatever way, I'm not available to them in, in the way that they need, they could still access that love, which ultimately, what is that? It's like that deep knowing inside of ourself that is reflected back to you as a kid by your parent, but really it's like accessing who you are inside, right? So in the end, is it really about me as the mom or am I this, you know, being in relationship with them, I'm this mirror of accessing that, that love and that that inner peace. Yeah. So I made this love note then that said, I love you on the top. It was an eight and a half by 11 piece of paper. I love you on the top and on the bottom, these little pull tabs that said, I love you too. And I put this oh, on yeah, the fridge. Oh, yeah, I saw that somewhere. Yeah. Oh. So I put that on the fridge and I said, okay, so you said you needed a piece of me even when you're here. Here it is. This is your take you it when take you need you it. Need. Love note system. <laughs> it's right there on the fridge. I'm just very pleased with myself too that I've come up with this system. And then that love note sits there and they don't touch it. And I am so inside proud of myself for this clever thing I've come oh. up with. It's so clever. And it was such a funny thing because I was like, I am so proud of myself. That feels so clever that I've come up with this system and, but the kids weren't engaging with it. And then one day it was early in the morning and I, I had woken, I love waking up early before everyone else. And I walked into the kitchen and the note surprised me. And it was as if the note was for me. And the oh, I love you, um, like it, what came to me is it was my grandmother's voice and she had passed on the year before. And I was so deeply touched by the experience of thinking that my grandmother was saying, I love you. And that I could take a tab that said, I lo- love you too, grandma, and keep it in my pocket. And so I did, I took it and I kept it. I put it in the little pocket inside my purse and then it was magical for me how every time I went in my purse to get my chapstick, to get my keys, to get my, you know, my bus card, whatever, I would find that note from my grandma. Even now, as I remember it, I feel myself tearing up because it was so meaningful to have those, that little reminder of how, of love. And again, as I was saying about it, was it really about my love for my kids or me marrying back to them, their deep connection? And it's the same thing for me with my grandma. And so then I began to wonder mm. what it would be like to be able to share that magical experience with other people. And so my kids and I took that original flyer, the one that says, I love you on the top and has the, I love you two tabs at the bottom. And we printed them and we started hanging them up around everywhere we went on bulletin boards and on telephone poles Mm. and, you know, sneaking them in places and leaving them for other people to find. I love that. And then from there, people started saying they would see the love note on our refrigerator or they would see it where we'd hung it up around town or wherever we were visiting. And they said, you know, I want that note too. And you should start a website. And so then I thought, oh, yeah, that'd be amazing because I, I want other people to ex- experience this feeling I'm having both on both sides. I have this profound experience hanging the sign. I have also a profound experience whenever I run back into one of my love notes and I'm surprised by it myself. And so I 
created a website and put up the love notes so people could download it and print it and hang it themselves and then share their story if they wanted to. And so from there, it really grew to Mm. various kinds of love note templates and different ways for people to engage in writing love notes and creating these tangible reminders. You know, again, like the jujus I had with my kids, but what is a reminder of what cannot be seen, but can only be felt? And what are these proofs of love that we can give and receive? It's beautiful. It's like a network Mm -hmm. is just growing of juju. Yes. (laughs) Stemming from our hearts. It's so (laughs) true. Who came up with the name juju? Yeah. It's an, I I remember it somehow a, a little, a name from my mom referring to something from her childhood, which was like, the word has a meaning of it's a treasure to you and I, but it may not be a treasure to other people. I don't know oh. where it came from, but that was how we referred to it. So we would have this little, these little trinkets, you know, that I would keep as a kid in my pocket or in these little tiny purses or, you know, hide them in little boxes. And they were treasures of things that meant something to me, but may or may not be of value to other people. That's so sweet. I love it. And it's such a reminder of, of connection. Yes. And like our need for connection to stay connected in some way to what gives us life and love and what gives us that sense of, I know who I am. Yes, absolutely. So you've created an art out of loving. Yes. The practice of (laughs) what does it mean to be in the world, to love and to be loved. And I'm super fascinated with both sides of that. I mean, as if there's only two sides, there's not, but I'm so fascinated by mm. the very, you know, the exchange, the the exchange and how, what's it like to play in the different spaces of giving and receiving love in the variety of ways that we can do it. And that completely fascinates me. You know, how can I be agile in that? And in what ways mm. can that spark agility in other people mm. to move in that space? As you were describing that, I was thinking, uh, as you were describing the the flyers you made and the little tabs that said, I love you too. Mm-hmm. And this now, this giving and receiving of love. I have been spending a lot of time with horses, mm-hmm. um, as you might know, and others might be hearing about on my podcast too. And it's so joyful when I bring a carrot mm-hmm. and I give it to them and they just like, they grab it and they... Sometimes they stand there and nibble on it right in front of me. Other times they just like turn their back and go crunch on it in the corner because that's how they want to do it. Um, but I was just thinking about that, the way that they receive mm-hmm. that love, that gift. Mm-hmm. That's like, they, they don't need to say thank you to me. Mm-hmm. That's their I love you too. Oh, I love it's that. It's like yum, 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 yum. I'm enjoying this. Yes. <laughs> And they might not give me the time of day after that. Yes. (laughs) But that's theirs to have. Right. So just seeing them receiving it this way and seeing how I could see that in life. You know, if people are just enjoying the thing I gave or the expression I that I offered. And even if they're not, whatever they're doing with it, it's theirs to have. What's beautiful about that is how you do that without necessarily an expectation. And so 
I think that is a commonality between these two experiences we're talking about, which I think, as you say, Mm -hmm. is this metaphor for life. Because if you are showing up with the expectation around, I'm giving the carrot and this is the scripted response that I need or want Mm -hmm. from a horse, you know, there goes the magic and there goes also the opportunity for you to see that metaphor for life. I think that same thing about love and this, for me, the love notes is this tangible aspect of other ways in which we love, but what is it to put up the note and to have not an expectation for what comes back? What is it for me to receive from someone else without an expectation for what follows? And that Mm -hmm. is such a beautiful space to be in. It's so clean. Mm -hmm. It feels so clean, like untangled with the expectations. I know whenever I've expected out of people and, and horses will show me it, especially they tend to go away. Yes. <laughs> like when I expect something, they're just like, Oh, I don't know about that. When it's so scripted. <laughs> and they walk away from me. Yes. Yes. Right. It's so pressured. It's true. So Shannon, what would be the love note that you would write yourself today? Hmm. Well, you know, when we were meditating, I mean, we, we weren't meditating. We were giving a pause for the sound check for 10 seconds, but I was closing my eyes and really wanting to connect with you. I actually picked up my pen and wrote this note and it said, when I arrive, there is so much light. And I don't know that that's necessarily the note. Yes. Anyways, that's what comes to me is that when I sat there with all that space and wanting to be open and connected with you. I was overcome with just how much light there is. Oh, that's beautiful. So maybe that's my note to myself. That's beautiful. I love it. I feel so much. And what does it take to arrive, right? Yeah. You speak about this in your, in your book, Show Up Hard, about connections, empathy mm-hmm. journeys and adventures and the concept of misconnection. Mm-hmm. Um, I would love for you to talk about that with this topic of what does it mean to arrive? Oh, I love that you made that, um, connection. That's, that's great. So in the (laughs) book, I, I'm talking about this framework for how we can show up as helpers and, and create connection for the purposes of helping someone in crisis or creating change, but to not burn out. And so one of the ways I talk about that people can choose to show up in the world is through a misconnection. And sometimes we think of that, or I've seen people taking that framework and they're having judgment around it. Oh, it's a misconnection. That's a bad thing. And the reality is, is that we have a misconnection or that way of engaging in so many parts of life. That's how we go to the grocery store. We ride the bus. We're walking down the sidewalk. We can't have empathetic, deep connection for every single moment of our life. In fact, you know, having that boundary creates the opportunity for us to have this deep connection in other spaces. But as it relates to how do we arrive and for what I, the note I wrote to myself, which is when I arrived, there is so much light is that to move from a space of a misconnection to being a compassionate witness, which is what I talk about in the book is about how to connect with someone else in a space that you don't get over involved and overwhelmed. 
a couple of things you want have to really deeply know yourself and know how you can peel back that layer so that you can have empathy and connection. And you also have to have the ability to not just know yourself, but leave your own worldview and your own sense of what the world looks like and step into the shoes of someone else and be able to see the world or at least try to really try to see the world through their eyes and their worldview. And that's where we get empathy. And that takes courage and it takes energy to let go of our own worldview and be willing to step into someone else's worldview and see how the world looks from their eyes. Yeah, this is interesting because I pulled this quote from your book. Do you mind if I read it? Please. Beginning on an empathy adventure may feel risky as we leave the comfort of our own worldview and narrative to explore another's. We risk falling in love. We risk feeling deep connection. We risk changing our own mind. We risk returning from this empathy adventure as a different person. Mm -hmm. Oof. Like we Mm -hmm. risk falling in love. That one really hits me in the heart. Yeah. Tell me more. I don't know. Um, Because when we see something else and we let ourselves fully in to witness that, to open our heart to that, it feels like we not only find some, we can find something outside of ourselves, but when we fall in love, it feels like it's a match inside of ourselves mm-hmm. somewhere. And so we get to know ourselves through opening ourselves to what we think is not us. Yes. Like, you know, that we, we have to, we think we're leaving the, we, we are leaving the comfort of our own worldview. Mm-hmm. And then we find that actually there's just more of us somewhere that we were not seeing before So beautiful. through someone else showing it to us. So beautiful. Yeah. It takes such courage to do that because we develop these narratives about ourselves that allow us to go through our day and get our things done and do our work and cope with traumas and stress. And to be willing to shake that up, you know, or to risk that one of those, like a piece of our, our safety net, which is that narrative we tell ourselves about who we are and how the world works. Mm -hmm. It takes tremendous courage because we also risk being rejected. We risk the feeling of being wrong, of kind of losing a piece of our foundation of what we believe is right by going on the these empathy adventures. That's true. And I think so much of us, at least in my own experience and what I see, when we're not having empathy for someone else, there's something, there's often something I'm trying to protect Mm -hmm. in myself. And I might have to feel some version of pain or rejection or hurt if I take in another person's view. Yep. And see it from their hurt or their experience. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that makes a lot of sense. We do risk the rejection. We risk pain. I think it's okay too to to at, 
choose at times to protect ourselves. So if we have trauma, or in particular, if we have trauma that we haven't healed from, I don't think that the requirement is on a daily basis that we open ourselves up unprotected. Mm-hmm. You know, that's not necessarily the challenge or the, you know, the goal. And so it's okay, you know, to recognize that there's parts of ourself that will protect and to know why that it's a trauma or it's something that's unhealed, or I have an experience with in, uh, connecting with someone in this way and I f- have felt betrayed before. So I feel, I feel held back in that way now. And so in that way, knowing, mm-hmm. very deeply knowing our own, uh, you know, edges of connection is so powerful. And again, the requirement isn't necessarily that we change, but that we know where those places are. And through that, then it can create space for us to, um, you know, kind of have a risk at a time when things are maybe lined up for us in a different way. I appreciate that a lot. I think so many of the messages that we get on social media and that we can just pass along, maybe sometimes unknowingly, is you just have to push yourself and power through and go for it. Mm-hmm. Or not pr- and not protect yourself and and be bigger or whatever people say but um the protection helps us absolutely <laughs> and as you said yeah it's it's about taking it one step at a time for you mm-hmm. for ourselves and knowing ourselves and that's i appreciate that because that sounds like the true loving mm-hmm. coming into to play not how we have to be and the shoulds of all of that, but how do we really love who we are, where we are? Mm-hmm. I do think it's important for us to know what our privileges are. And I do think that it's a time in which those of us who have privilege, there is a requirement on us to acknowledge that privilege and to do more. And we have to know what it, I have to know what the immense privilege that I have and also how I have to invest in my own resilience so that I can show up. But I do think that it's required of those of us who have privilege and opportunity to, um, to take what is, may feel risky, but to put ourselves out there and to be willing to be wrong and to learn and to make mistakes so that we can create the change that's necessary. And it's been on people who've experienced so many traumas and structural racism uh, to do that for so long. And so I think part of Mm -hmm. what I want to say too, is that it's important that if you have these experiences that you are really taking care of yourself, but part of knowing ourself is knowing what our privileges are. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like you're saying that, well, on one hand, there might be a time for just seeing the way you're protecting yourself and appreciating that on one hand or allowing that and using that to be able to move forward. It's also, it doesn't take away from responsibility to see our privileges and yes, that's beautiful. That acceptance of that protection. Yeah. It doesn't just mean we sit back and say, that's it, but there's still a responsibility to, to see more. Correct. Yeah. I completely agree with that. How is that showing up in your world lately? 
Well, for me personally, it's been doing a lot of reading and being in conversation and reckoning around any fragility or not any, but the fragility I have around race and what, in what ways does my white fragility show up? And maybe a story I told myself six months ago or a year ago was, oh, that's too scary. I have to protect myself. And I've now been able to see and learn, oh no, that's my white fragility. And what does it look like for me to be willing to look at that and to, even though it feels risky and I may be wrong and I'm going to make mistakes to keep showing up so that I can learn and I can do better. I appreciate that. For some people listening, I don't know if they may be familiar with white fragility, the term. Oh, yeah. Would you, yeah, just just in case, would you share a bit about what you understand with it and how you experience it? For sure. I'm certainly no expert in the topic and am doing a lot of active learning around it right now. So I can just talk about my own mm-hmm. experience with it. So for me, it's been a way in which I told myself a story of, oh, I'm a good person. I'm doing good work. I'm not part of active racism where I don't have um, advantages from our systems, which are so racist and really then shy away from looking at how my privilege has benefited me. And then when I do that, then I'm not opting in anti-racism conversations in a way that really create change. If I stay in that space, then I'm really still part of the status quo. And so for me, it's been coming to learn how I, how my privilege is, it's like a, it's like a cul-de-sac going round and around of protection where I feel uncomfortable. And so then I stay in my privilege and don't crack that open and, you know, learn more so that I can be a part of anti-racism work and creating change. And for me, that's, that's white fragility and white fragility is mm-hmm. making sure it's about other people and not about you. When in fact, all we white people have privilege and have a lot more to learn. Mm-hmm. There's a fabulous mm-hmm. book. I would just say um, called white fragility by Robin D'Angelo, which is a great place to begin with reading. And then there's so many wonderful conversations going on on, and I would say wonderful and healthy conversations going on on, various forms of social media and blogs where people can learn more too. Yeah. I love April Harder mm. on Instagram, um, especially the way, yeah, she's kind of like no bullshit, she, uh, which I appreciate. And on the other hand, she's also very empathetic mm. and non-shaming. So it's like, we're going to be no bullshit, but we don't need to um, shame people into feeling like they're a bad person. Let's just look at this in a way that we can look at it. Mm-hmm. That's beautiful. I can't wait to look it up. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for sharing this. It's really lovely to hear you talk about it in that way. And I, I'm i Chinese American and I, I know I have a lot of privileges too. And so I, I don't opt out of those conversations either with myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think... It can be easy for someone who's a person of color to just say, well, they're not part of it at all. Mm-hmm. And that, I think, perpetuates 
a level of shaming because it's to say like, that's not me at all. Mm. And I think it's all of us because it's the water we breathe mm-hmm. uh, to some degree, you know, in some aspect, some more than others, some way more than others, mm-hmm. but it's there, it's living in us. And um, lately I've been looking at how am I living incongruently from with myself mm-hmm. and congruently with something that is um, holding things in place that keep the wounding happening or holding a construct that that doesn't really that hurts that's powerful that is very powerful yeah so I also caught onto these words in your in your book mm-hmm. about confusing leading with saving mm-hmm with saving people. And I think it fits right here. Yes. Um, yeah. I, w- I would love for you to talk about that. And you, ha- you wrote this beautiful checklist of how to spot if you, as a helper or as a person in the world, even that's, you know, wanting to make a difference. How do you spot if you're trying to save people mm-hmm. versus being that compassionate witness and leading? Yeah. Beautiful. So I think for so many of us, uh, because of the stories we tell ourselves, the experiences we've had growing up, we can really be scripted into believing that we are doing good or we are creating change as we save other people. It almost as if it gives us, you know, it's such an active process. It's almost like we can kind of collect this story and it's a proof of us doing something in the world when in fact, it's really not change that's happening because the other person isn't, you know, making the change that's required. And oftentimes it's us avoiding dealing with our own stuff because we're so focused on saving someone else. And some of the tips I give in the book for thinking about it is if we're working harder than the other person, like how vested are we in this outcome of this story? I share all of this because this is my default mode. I write about it because it's something I know so well, even after the book is done, how many more times have I done it since the book has come out? So many times. (laughs) It's my way of being. Um, And so it's a reminder (laughs) for myself of like, you know, where's my ego in this story? You know, have I projected myself as some sort of hero in this narrative of some problem that's sitting there? And when real change gets created, it's by the person who is in the crisis, who has the problem being empowered or seeing their own power to create the change that's right for them. Yes. I love how you said that. Yeah. It goes back to that kind of magical thing we were talking about uh, when we were talking about love and how this agility to be in different ways of giving and receiving love. And through that space, that's where the magic is. Well, that's similar here. And that the magic will come when it comes from inside the person who's in crisis Mm. or who needs help. And in fact, when we are so attached to an outcome and we have such a narrative about ourselves saving this person. I mean, when it happens to me, I like these to-do lists can come up automatically in my head. I know all the right answers. I know just what to do. We in fact right. script it and leave out the opportunity for the magic of something more awesome than we could ever imagine happening. Mm. Mm, that's beautiful. I would say the the downside, well, not the downside, the other part, the other side of that is that also nothing can change. And 
that things don't get better. And that's the risk. But that is the way in which we have to create that space, you know, so there's the opportunity for that magic and the things that we could never imagine happening. There's also the opportunity that the person does not change at this time and they change, they may change another time. We certainly know this, this experience in our life over and over when we have people whom we love or we're in relationship who suffer from addiction or mental health at issues that this may not be that time that might not be their choice in that moment. And yet it is still on us to be the compassionate witness and create the space for them to have the autonomy to choose and find the way that's best for them. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I think it's really, especially where you say that if the person doesn't feel empowered in themselves, that the magic isn't happening in themselves if we're just doing it for them or giving them the answer that we think is there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just swinging back to the conversation we're just having previous to this, the topic of privilege and dependency, non-dependency. There, there's this way that it feels like it perpetuates having people dependent on you. Yes, and so that, true feels privilegey, you know, you know it feels You're like so it touches right. in on white privilege, right? Correct. The savior complex. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. And it, we can tout ourselves from our ego thinking that that is, we've done something good here. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is a clue to say, wait, what have we done? What have we done? <laughs> what have yes. we done? Not, a, not in a critic, like not in a shaming way, but like, what am I doing here? It goes back to the thing you were mentioning right now about where is this incongruent or congruent? And yeah, so it's not a thing to be shamed about, but is this congruent with with what I believe to be the higher path or the path that's going to create this deeper change in the world? And so many times I think it's no, it's our default way of showing up. It's the way that has gotten us through to this point. Mm I know this place very well too. Like this is definitely my default way. And I even remember in college, my friends and I would be like, we're going to save the world (laughs) because we've done this like cool project that did help people. (laughs) But, but, but yeah, it was like, it, it, yeah, made me wonder, is this in our nature to want to save? What is that about? And I, as I go deeper with myself with that, it's, it's about proving myself that I'm enough. Mm-hmm. And that's all about me. Mm-hmm. Not about someone who has their own autonomy and just wants someone to love them by, by seeing them as they True. are with their True. own power. You know, I think it's also about having meaning in life. I would say that. I agree with you because I think it's the same thing for me. There's a huge mm-hmm. part of my ego always. And I think it's important to acknowledge that and shake hands with the ego and you know, find a way to walk together. Mm -hmm. But I also think that it's, we want and crave meaning in life. And maybe the way that we think that there's meaning is by some superhero or shero story that's from some movie narrative or now it wouldn't even be a movie, you know, it'd only be a one minute video that somebody saw online. Um, But in fact, you know, creating 
or having meaning in life and creating meaning out of our life right. is a much deeper and quieter process. And it it may in fact not be seen in that same way or acknowledged in that same way. That real meaning and that real change in the world is that quiet, unsung, and everyday work that it's not as glittery and fancy as we as our egos might want to believe. Mm. I love that. I really connect with that, um, the quieter and deeper process. And I'm wondering how that, how that shows up for you. Mm. Yeah. I think about that in my life right now, as it relates to work that I want to do in the world. Um, and also as it relates to parenting, my kids who are in their late teens now, and when I think in these settings about what is the, you know, when I wake up in the morning and what is that impact that I want to have, it, what, what's required to make that impact is this deeper work of wrestling one with my ego and getting straight with that and then figuring out that kind of background work, that infrastructure or scaffolding that needs to be there for whether it's my kids or it's the work that I want to do in the world. Um, and it's not the glittery or the frosting on the cake, you know, the final touches that we kind of might dream about, but it's creating that mm-hmm. infrastructure and scaffolding for bigger, bigger work. And that's that daily like one brick at a time feel, it sounds like. Yes. And not getting distracted, I think for me, by the things that can sometimes feel more fun or look more exciting or be more Instagram worthy. But it's like, and at the end of the day, is that the one step forward or two steps forward towards that bigger and deeper change? Mm-hmm. Beautiful. It's like one, one pebble at a time, one piece at a time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what what topics are up in the air for you lately? What's alive? You know, something that keeps coming up and I would love to talk about with you is in the book, we talked briefly about the framework and we talked about misconnection and compassionate witness. And then I don't know that we named this third framework that we've referenced it many times, which is this enmeshed framework mm. or this martyr framework. Mm-hmm. So we've talked about in our conversation, how that's book can be both of our default methods and it's many folks and for a variety of reasons, but something that's up for me right now, which is I've been asked many times by folks, can you move from an enmeshed relationship to a compassionate witness relationship? And of course, I think the answer to almost anything in life is yes, <laughs> but then it's probably a matter of how. Yeah. And so I've had conversations with people about how complicated that can be or how tricky that can be to move from an enmeshed or an over-involved relationship to one that's um, balanced or the compassionate witness in which we've removed the kind of power or the holding of what's happening from ourselves and put it in the space for the, to either be shared or where the person who's in crisis is got ownership of their whole story. And I've reflected that, um, you know, these kinds of things will blow up one way or another. So it certainly behooves us to in advance, 
try to avoid being in these sorts of situations and relationships. But for some of us, we're in these relationships and some of them have gone on 10 years, 20 years, or we're even months into something that feels like a deep pattern and it can feel really hard to back out of. Yeah. And so I'd love to chat about that with you. If you have thoughts from your healing work or you have experiences from meditating with the horses and, you know, where are these kind of tips for once we've acknowledged that we are over-involved, we're in an unhealthy space and it's not necessarily something we're just going to cut off, right? Right. Because maybe it's in a work scenario or a family scenario where it's not like we can just move away from it. And so are there ways to move from that into a healthier space? Well, Shannon, this is like the story of my life. <laughs> oh, I didn't I didn't mean it to be that. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's okay. Um, so I guess I, I you know, I've never been asked that question from this space. So it's great. Um mm. I would say that as a default. And when I say that, um, meaning just like the imprint of my young life and maybe past lives or my ancestral role that I have taken Mm -hmm. up coming into this life has been of being responsible where it's not mine to be responsible for. Mm. And Mm -hmm. that was a survival. And it does something, it does do something in the system, in the soul of the system of my family. I do believe that my doing mm-hmm. so has has done something, but I, I'll go back to something you said in your book that staying enmeshed has a, a price. Yeah. And learning or shifting that also has a price is what you said. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I really resonated with that. Yeah. Yeah, because... When I did start to see that this was exhausting for me and it it was a hard seeing, you know, my body was showing me, this is more in my 20s, um, but my body was like, you can't keep doing this with your family. You can't keep doing this with the world. You're just taking on everyone's problems. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah. I realized that was a part, a very big part of my journey in healing, healing my own body and heart and soul. And it didn't have mm-hmm. to do with healing everyone else anymore. It was where I thought that was the case. It was more about me at the point at which I became mm-hmm. an adult. So um, I've been in numerous relationships where I have become enmeshed with someone, found my connection with them through helping them and becoming their mm-hmm. their person, their go-to person, or taking on the role of a mother or... And that, and that sometimes was beautiful and lovely. And at other times it was awful because I also got the bad end of the stick, so to say, the, the rougher end of that, like if things didn't go right. Um, I had to take yep. the heat for that too. So yes. yeah, and I would say that um, all of those different relationships that I'm referring to that were family, friendships, and also intimate partners they all had different outcomes as I start to realize and different ways for Mm -hmm. me to navigate it as I realized that this was the pattern that was going on with me and in this relationship. So yeah, some of the price that I paid was the relationship did end. 
yeah. at some point. And for me too. Yeah. yeah. And sometimes it was very successful in shifting that this is no longer going to be the case. But what it required was a lot of loving, loving and brutally honest communication and boundaries that I didn't have. I didn't know how to put mm -hmm. boundaries up at all. I, did, I didn't allow myself to. I didn't think they were, were um, I didn't think I was allowed to have boundaries. So giving myself that permission was a big step. Yes. Yeah. And even the ability to have the brutally honest conversation, I think that that's so challenging when we're in these scenarios. Sometimes we aren't even brutally honest with ourselves about how off the relationship is. Mm -hmm. You know, another clue I'd gotten recently is if I'm explaining a relationship to someone who's new in my life, and I have to explain how special are all the excuses when ultimately the mirror back is for me like, oh, because it's so unhealthy. The story I'm explaining is actually so unhealthy and off. I'm having <laughs> to really go and explain all the ins and outs, which if you've been close to me, then you already understand all the ins and outs of, of the wackiness. So I yeah. think that you, this point about the brutally on honest conversation, which starts with ourselves, but then like awesome that you were able to say that with another person like that in and of itself is super powerful. Yeah. And I just think about what that required because it wasn't, it wasn't easy, but it also required that. So many guts. Yeah. And the day, that daily deep doing and being with yourself over time and being mm -hmm. with that person over time. Uh, the one I'm referring to is more of a romantic connection but we had built a lot of trust in the relationship to be honest with each other and to tolerate the other's brutally honest expressions. Yes. What I mean is um, saying truths that are hard to hear, but we found a way to say it lovingly that we could tolerate it then, that we could really look at That's it. That's so beautiful. Yeah. So beautiful. And sometimes that's available for... Oh, I see. Sometimes that's available for folks and sometimes it's not too. Yeah. If, if it's maybe in a work scenario or a community scenario, depending on where the people's privileges and, you know, power differentials lie, that may not always be available for folks. But I think being able to have this space where we can talk about it brutally honest, at least with someone, whether that's a friend or a therapist or some other person so that it sees the light of day. Mm. Yeah. I love that seeing the light of, so it sees the light of day. That's beautiful. Mm -hmm. And sometimes just to add to what you're saying, sometimes the other person or other people aren't interested in hearing that truth at all. And that has been very hard for me. Such a great point. Because for some folks, that way of engagement has served them. And for you to shift it up, yeah. it's not going to, it won't work for them. So you're right. so right. It may not always be available. And I think with my my way of surviving when I was younger, I had to be very persistent. And while people generally think persistence is a really good thing, I think it's a great thing to be able to be mm -hmm. persistent. But there's always a balance to every kind of trait and there's always a good and in a sense a good and a bad side or when it becomes out of balance and when it is mm -hmm. imbalance and my persistence when I experience someone who is unwilling to go there, 
my persistence became really unhealthy. Mm. And it was better to walk away in those situations or let leave it, let it have space or something. And, and that was hard for me. So that's another thing I had to learn. Um, Mm -hmm. yeah, but how, what is your experience and what are the thoughts that you have around it? Yeah. Something that I'm just paying so much attention to in my life right now and talking about it with as many folks as I can, so I can learn more. So it feels like it's such a area of exploration for me, but I would say one thing that I got coached by someone to do in a scenario where I, so one of the things I've realized about myself is that it might take me 24 or 36 hours to to really kind of process and integrate that something is off. Mm. And I used to judge myself about that. And now I recognize that that's part of who I am. And there's so many beautiful aspects about myself that I'm not quick to, I don't know that the word judge is right, but I'm not quick to um, decide about something. Cause there's mm-hmm. that there, that's a beautiful possibility, but where I, I'm struggling with it is like, I maybe needed to have said something or set a boundary and I didn't, and it will take me these 24 or 36 hours to really integrate and then articulate, um, mm-hmm. what's up for me. But I've also recognized that I can often feel in my body when it's happening, that something's off, but I won't have all of the pieces together to say something. And so I was coached by someone um, with this great line, which I've been trying to use uh, when I recognize in my body that something's off. And what she said to me was, would it be possible for you to say something is off for me right now? I can't quite name what it is, but I want to just say that and I'll circle back to it when I know what it is. Mm. And it's such a great thing because it just flags for me. And I can do that in a way that it can have a neutral energy or a just a, Hey, what's up energy. But it also, it's a way for me to acknowledge that my body has that feeling that something's off. So I'm not necessarily sweeping it under the rugs and then waiting till later, you know, to, to process, but it also might, it, I've seen it happen where other people in the setting might say, Oh yeah, something's off for me too. Is it this or it's that? And so in some ways it's created a healthier dialogue than, yeah. Or for me to get more inputs and information about what my body has said, hey, something's up, but I, again, can't quite articulate it at the moment. So that's a great I'd like area of place I'm practicing in. It's so respectful of you and your process and your body and where you're at. I, I love it. And I love that it opens up conversation at times with others. Yes. So that's, yes, it's good. And who knows what will come from that for me? Like, I don't Mm -hmm. know that I'll necessarily be able to integrate and then articulate things immediately. And I'm not sure that that's the goal, right? The goal is for me to keep showing up as my best self and in the framework of my book, being a compassionate witness as in as many, Mm -hmm. you know, areas and opportunities as I can. And so that may be my path forward to that. Mm, It's beautiful. I mean, there's no, there's no good reason to pressure yourself to, I don't know, to, to be able to respond quicker. <laughs> it's like, it's yeah. just so trivial, you know? I know that, but I do sometimes feel like, oh, I want to be that very witty and articulate and very self-knowing person that knows in that moment. Yeah. But really it, uh, it takes a run or a walk and a sleep and, you know, some meditation. Like this is just the way my 
inner world yeah. works. So <laughs> <laughs> I think I work in that way, especially when it's when it touches something that might have been hard for me in the past mm. or now or traumatic, like it touches on some piece of that. Um, but also like just with what you're saying, like, yeah, I would love to be this witty, quick on my feet person. And I think I am sometimes, but uh, I'm watching, I'm watching designated survivor on Netflix and, um, and so many TV shows or movies, like people, it's a script. People are so witty in an instant and it's so exciting, but that's just not the reality of human beings in most cases. I mm-hmm. think. Mm-hmm. We we need time to think about it. We don't always say the funniest, clever thing or the right thing. And we need to be able to rewind and fast forward or say, let's do this again or truth. time. Yeah, truth. Yeah. And what was the other thing you wanted to share? Oh, yeah. So I was thinking of another way in which um, this experience is showing up for me, it, which I... Mm-hmm. I'm really enjoying is my middle um, child is 19 and he and I, Oh, so I, let me rewind by saying we had talked about how these relationships will often end. They'll necessarily end or there'll be, I think also energy that stays with it in a way that it's not necessarily attractive for us or that we, you know, we want to lean into. And so I also challenge mm-hmm. myself in what ways when I recognize and that these sorts of behaviors on my side are starting earlier. Can I say something or speak about it sooner with the goal of that the I can shift that way of engaging earlier on and keep it towards the healthier side um, so that it won't mm-hmm. necessarily blow up or, you know, have this, have some, something of consequence that kind of lingers. And so I'm really loving this experience with my middle child who's 19 and he is um, graduated from high school and he's living at home and working. And so we're in this really interesting space of reimagining our relationship. And so Mm. I love that we are able to have conversations about, about it and what's hard and what's easy for us. And I just noticed this week that I started to get over involved about something. And I even reflected to myself, Oh, I feel like it's high school again. And I'm doing this, this, and this. And I had to think to myself, I mean, whose problem is that it would be easy for me to get upset and be like, well, that's his problem. But I had to reflect I'm behaving in this way that reminds me of, you know, him at a younger age. And so I actually, um, chatted Mm -hmm. with him and we have this beautiful practice now of doing these check it, he calls them check-ins. And so we check in with each other to chat about how our relationship is going. And so we had the check-in and I said, I noticed I'm doing this, this, and this. And he says, I noticed that about you too, mom. And that is not the the best life for you, <laughs> you know? And I was like, it is not the best life for me. And he was like, so, but then he was, he, you know, he could ask, is he doing something that's causing me to do that? No, it was me defaulting to this I was like, this wow. is the story I'm telling myself about what you're doing right now. And so this is how I choose to respond. And he's saying, well, this is actually what's happening. And, you know, I want more of that in my life, you know, not just with him, which I'm just so grateful to know mm. what I know and for him to be who he is in the world so we can have the conversation. And I hope 
continue on a path that remains healthy and beautiful. But I want more of that in different relationships in my life, these sort of check-in and being able to say, I noticed this about myself and the other person saying what they notice. And it doesn't even take that long, to be honest. It takes trust. It takes vulnerability, right? But it's not even a huge amount of time to be able to both end up kind of balancing things and being your better self. That is incredible, Shannon. I I feel so, my heart just feels so wide open and like mm. warm knowing that you and your son have this conversation mm. and you, you, and it's a regular conversation and you can be so honest with each other. It, it truly shows how much trust you have built and that he can even say, is there something I'm doing that's contributing mm-hmm. to that? Wow. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a good, it's a good space. I. It's beautiful. Mm-hmm. And I like this idea of reimagining your relationship. Mm-hmm. And it, it sounds like you're saying, well, what's going well and what's, what's a challenge here or what's not going so well, or here's what I'm noticing about each of us and how do we want it to be? Mm-hmm. Is that right? It is. And you, what's interesting as you, as you're saying that I'm, I wanted to tell you, yes, it's because we don't really have a script for who we're supposed to be right now because where, where's the mm-hmm. script for your 19 and you're living at home and figuring out what's next. Mm-hmm. And so because there's no script, we acknowledge that to each other. We're like, well, we're unplugging from this story about this path and that path. And now because we don't have a script, we're going to talk about it and figure it out. But as you were reflecting this, I was going to say, mm. when do we ever have a script for what it's supposed to be? You know, we take these scripts that are given to us from society, from stories we tell ourselves, from the movies, from whatever. And then we have that script dictate these various relationships. And in, mm. in reality, I, I'm now yeah. re- recognizing through our conversation, like this beautiful opportunity that he and I are having is like, really, that's what all of life ought to be because what, what script is there? Yeah, truly. Well, (laughs) my mind just went to, well, there is a, like, just in the work that I do with family constellations and the lineage, there is an undertow of a script. Okay. Good point. Excellent point. And then as you said, like there's, there's these scripts that we take on from the world around us. Yeah, it's true. It's true. Like we should be X, Y, and Z. But I think you're bringing up the the most beautiful, magical part of living is that what script really do we want to be following? Like we can design this. Mm, yeah. With our awareness, with our loving each other. It goes to your being incongruent and where are you incongruent reflection, right? Like really having the the courage and the awareness to look at that, those scripts or stories or paths, mm-hmm. right? Right. Wow. Well, I've really enjoyed this conversation, Shannon. Um, Likewise. I want to just, yeah, I want to just ask you one more question if you would be willing mm-hmm. to, um, if you'd be willing to share with our, with our listeners today, one of your self, one of your love notes that you feel our listeners could take in today just from your intuition. Mm. 
Yes. The one I want to share is this. You are enough. And if I could, I would come into your house and I would take a Sharpie and I would write this on your bedroom wall and I'd write it on the mirror in your bathroom and I would write it on your kitchen wall and I'd write it by your back door and I would put it on the sun visor in your car and I'd write it on the back of your hand so that everywhere you turned around, there was this note that was telling you that you are enough. I love it. (laughs) That is so great. That's so great. I definitely tell that to myself at times when I need it and could use the reminder at times when I don't remember. Mm-hmm. Um, and as you're saying this, it made me think of, made me think of like Habitat for Humanity mm. kind of projects and like with what you're doing, with just leaving notes in public spaces. Mm-hmm. It It made me think of, yeah, if you could go into people's homes, like if people invited you into their homes to love, I don't know, what what would you call it? <laughs> to love it up. <laughs> <laughs> I have lots of Sharpies. I'm Invite cool me over anytime. I'd be so happy to write on your wall. <laughs> <laughs> my my uh, five-year-old self would have been like inviting you over right away while my dad would probably be like, what have you done? Yes. <laughs> Writing on all the walls. That's all I want to do is write on the walls. Oh, thank you so much, Shannon. Is there is there anything else you want to share today before we go? Mm. Well, maybe I will just share that if folks want to go to the Love Note website, which is love you two, so L-O-V-E-Y-O-U, the number two dot org, there's all these free love note templates you can download in six languages. Oh, cool. And lots of different ideas for how you can print the love notes and share them in the world. And so anyways, I think it's just so fun. And people tell me amazing stories about what happens when they start very freely writing love notes. I love that. Do you have Chinese on there? There's Mandarin. Yes. There's Mandarin. Yes. There's, well, in in Chinese, all the the writing is generally the same. Mm-hmm even though the spoken is different. Got it. So, yeah. Oh, that's cool. Mm-hmm. I love that. And um, your book is at showuphard.com. Is Correct. Right? And there's at the showuphard.com website, all the love notes that I wrote in the Show Up Hard book are available to download for free as are the worksheets. And then there's also a free 30-day e-course people can sign up for where they'll get a little email every day for 30 days with a little prompt and a little message or a love note. I think that's kind of fun too. That's beautiful. And I, I love that your book um, is designed like a workbook. Mm-hmm. Too. There are these sections of questions and reflection. It's great. Thank you. Uh, yeah. And do you want to mention your HIV work at all? Sure. Also, do, I, I, I really love my work. I feel lucky to be doing it. And I founded and direct a website called pleaseprepme.org. And PrEP is the HIV prevention pill. And we help people get access to the HIV prevention pill. We have a directory and resources. And then we do online chat and help people figure out how to get the Mm. pill and the associated services paid for. Beautiful. Mm -hmm. And that I I hopped on there and I I love how it's speaking to all different audiences. Mm -hmm. 
whether you're a man, you're a woman, you're trans, or I think you had some other populations on there that you were speaking to. Yeah. We're very keen on youth Mm -hmm. as well. It's a really diverse Mm -hmm. and inclusive, um, space. Yes. Beautiful. Thank you so much for doing the work you're doing there and the love notes, just sprinkling your, your heart across the world and spreading that, Mm -hmm. that joy and love so beautiful and it's I'm so touched to have you here today and I learned a lot and um I appreciate you thank you likewise thank you so much for having me I really appreciate our connection and I have enjoyed your newsletters and podcasts and learning about you and your teachers and I'm really loving learning about horses from you oh thank you thank you What I really loved about our conversation and connecting with Shannon is how real she is and how authentic she shows up as. And it feels like I can really feel her presence. It's not like an extra layer that I have to cut through to feel connection with her. It was so easy. I hope you felt that connection too and that informs or inspires you to find your own way to connect with others, your own authenticity your own ability to empathize with yourself and also with others through showing up the way that you are with who you are and with compassion. Thanks so much, Shannon, for showing up hard and showing up on the podcast today. It was so much fun and I learned so much and uh, it was very opening for the love in my heart. And just a quick note, be sure to check out her discussion about empathy adventures coming out later this week, or you can find it at candice.com slash Shannon Weber. I hope you all find love in your life today, in every day, and also perhaps sprinkle some of those love notes around your space or in your community spaces. Maybe sneak around like Shannon and our kids do and just have an adventure with it and see how people react. Lately, I've seen a lot of pictures and posts on the U.S.-Mexican border and how artists have been creating playful artwork and um, installations that people can interact with, such as seesaws that connect on both sides and where you can see the other people on the other side playing with you. And also I saw a big, big painting It seemed like a big painting installation of a child's face looking over into the Mexico side from the U.S. side. It was a really sweet image. And um, to me, those seem like playful ways to show our love and connection, just like these love notes do. So I feel like this is one way we can bridge connection and make it safer for people to connect and and make people feel or invite people to feel the love that we want to to bring to the world. Lastly, be sure to check out Shannon's book at showuphard.com if you were interested in uh, that discussion about being a helper and how to support yourself with self-care, boundaries, going on empathy adventures, etc. And that can really help anybody who feels that they're in a position of helping another. Thank you so much for listening in today. It's great to have you here. 
Before you go, I'd invite you to sign up for the bi-monthly newsletter that goes out with updates on experientials, podcasts, retreats, workshops, and, and self-love notes. You can find that at candicewu.com slash embody. And before we go, I want to make a couple of shout-outs today to Nick Werber, who offered the music to the beginning and the end of the podcast that I still use today. Thank you so much, Nick. I love it. And also to Chris Spiegel, who does the editing and behind-the-scenes production of the Embody podcast, as well as the website. Chris does an amazing job with the sound quality and editing the pieces so that they're easy to listen to and completes it all on the podcast as well as communicates with all my guests and helps us out with any tech issues that that any one of us may have. So I want to thank him and appreciate all the work he does for the podcast. Thank you, Chris. So with that, I will leave you all today with the inspiration to risk falling in love. See you next time on the Embody Podcast.